I'm going to do this morning is uh, just share with you uh, how I got to go over there just briefly to South Korea and uh, then just give you some detail about the church. You may have already been bombarded with facts about the largest church in the world. You may not. Uh, but I'm going to, in the middle of our, our, as I'm sharing, show some of the video uh, that's available through CVG. Now it's uh, out of date. Uh, but you cannot keep up to date with what God is doing in South Korea. Uh, however, it is a few years out of date. And uh, we'll have a look at that so you can just get some uh, visual understanding of what God is doing. If you've seen that before, then ask God just to touch you again as you watch it again. Uh, we won't be watching all of it, but I suggest that probably while we're having sandwiches or whatever, we can show it. And if people want to see the end of it, they can see it when they want, uh, just casually as they want. But um, I'm not going to cover everything that I could. And then after I share about, you see the view, I'm going to tell you what God did for me and what, uh, as a consequence, he's doing in the life of our fellowship here at Bracknell. Uh, and then we're going to pray. Right? And uh, God's going to touch many of you this morning. There was a guy called Jeff Notter, one of our neighborhood group, neighborhood group leaders, who came to me uh, in this room and said, would you like to go to Korea with me? I didn't know it was a joke. I don't know if he was just offering me a one-way ticket. I wasn't quite sure. But uh, I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I was there a couple of months ago. I knew that. He said, I have to go out to Tokyo to do some work. He says, and I've had a, a tax rebate. He folded a business up about three or four years ago, and he just got a big tax rebate. And he said, I'd like to take uh, you out with me. So I was delighted. I said, when is it? It was during the second week, the end of the second week of the dance. I was booked in for the first week, so that fitted in. I had to come back within a week uh, because I was uh, leading some ministry down at Halden Court, a hotel uh, down in Exmouth. And I was down there, so he was going to go on to Los Angeles. And I thought, well, he was offering to take me there as well. Uh, to the vineyard so I thought this is wonderful however I felt committed to coming back uh, to uh, honour my appointment down at Exmouth I felt a little bit of a twinge about that but I said that and he said well what's happening I'll take you over there I'll stay with you a couple of days then I must go on to Tokyo and I'll leave you in Seoul at the Uedo Full Gospel Church uh, for about four or five days by yourself and you can find your own way back which I managed to do and uh, we were out there, obviously, to visit what is the largest church in the world, in Seoul, South Korea, the Yido Full Gospel Church, and the pastor there, who you will probably know of, the Reverend Paul Yonggi Cho. And as it's August 1987, the membership there was 526,601. 526,601, exactly. All right? What had happened to me in the few weeks before that, Ben had been, uh, had a bad back, so I'd had more opportunity, I get good opportunity to minister by preaching about spiritual warfare from Ephesians 6, the whole armour of God and I believe God was preparing me because I was talking about things that I wanted to believe and yet in my spirit I hadn't moved into and uh, I needed to move into that in my prayer life also so off we went, we travelled 21 hours, we managed to get there and I uh, don't know if you travel that way, but you just hit meal times all the way. It's wonderful, right? So you have about six meals in about ten hours, something like that. And uh, these meal times just come and eat you. Wind your clock forward, you run into another meal time. And so I... <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, I managed, uh, I managed six, uh, six out of seven of the meals. 
Uh, Jeff, not the guy with me, managed all seven, but when you see him, you understand why he's a mountain of a guy. That's probably why he is how he is. Right at South Korea, with a population of about 40 million people, all right? In Seoul, there's a population of 8 million people. That's their capital. So therefore, in Seoul, one in 16 people probably attends or is a member of the full gospel church there. One in 16. This is a teeming modern city, this capital. We went there and we actually uh, were nine hours ahead. It was amazing to watch all that was going on and all that was happening there and then look back and realize everyone was sleeping and doing all sorts of different things. Back to the country is divided. There's North Korea and South Korea and the North is run by the communists. We stayed in a room in the church. Uh, they have a kind of a suite of rooms that are available. Uh, we had to book. Uh, Jeff not telexed them and then phoned up just to confirm. They said, come, we'll find a place for you somehow. And it was one of the not-so-busy times. Generally, they have kind of conventions on and so on and, and meetings. So we managed to get a room there. And this room was excellent. It was like staying in a four-star hotel. Excellent quality room. And it was on the sixth floor of their education block. Three main buildings in the middle of Seoul. Their education block in which they, they have the pastoral work and also they teach their children. And then they have a mission block, which is a new building, which is about 14 stories. And such is the growth, they've had to build a chapel on the top of it, right? On the roof of it. So it's like you're always, almost up to heaven anyway, so you might as well build one there. And uh, they, they built this chapel up there. And uh, then they have the main building uh, in which the, they have their main meetings. And there's many other kind of uh, chapels they call around the place so we had a brief visit to the city centre and that was Friday night we arrived we started travelling Thursday morning so we travelled 20 odd hours and we arrived there Friday night and Jeff was saying good we'll get there just in time for their all night prayer meeting and uh, it started at 10 o'clock and uh, we made our moves towards it and that's when God started to work in my life now I'm going to move away from that uh, give you some details about the church I felt when I was there, God said to me, don't dash around and try and find everything. I'm a bit like that. I want to know everything that's going on. God said, I will bring things to you and show you. Because there's so much to know. There's so many things that maybe we don't have to learn out there. I wanted to know what God had for me as an individual. And uh, then what God was saying to us over here at Bracknell. So let's have a look at some of the kind of history. Well, it was 1958 that Yonggi Cho started in a tent with five people. All right. He was an Assemblies of God Bible School graduate. In this split country, families were split because of the war, injured, there was desolation, there was TB. And what happened, they started to pray all day and all night. His, his mother-in-law took the days and Paul Yonggi-Cho took the nights. And they prayed and they prayed and prayed. And one day they broke through and there was healings, people born again and people came to see. And the people that joined them became disciplined to pray. And the church grew. And the church has never, ever gone back to passive prayer. And you'll see what I mean by that later on. And they are fervent until they feel that they have broken through. All right? And God is moving towards them. So they prayed. The second element was that he was told by God to prepare leaders. Those with potential. And God said this to him. He said, God said, don't worry about factions. Don't worry if anyone wants to break away. I just call you to prepare leaders and just trust with the rest of it. So he prepared leaders and he trained them. And I'll talk a little bit about training in a minute. And he started the home group system. 
And the home group system had about 20 minutes teaching, fellowship, worship, but about 40 minutes of prayer. And the emphasis was in evangelism. And they are encouraged in their neighborhood groups to be nosy, right? In the nicest possible way, but to, to be nosy. They are supposed to know their neighbors and the people who live in their apartments or by name. And they're encouraged to have even a, no, a little notebook, right? And write down people's names. They're supposed to get to know the people. And then what they do, they get to know their needs. If you get to know people and you mention them by name, we all like being remembered, our name, and say, how are you? And they, they're amazed that you know their name, and they just become a bit more open. Well, I'm not too good, I've got this need. And they say, well, listen, I'm part of a cell group. We pray together. Let me take your prayer request to the cell group. And they pray. And uh, the person says, what's a cell group? And they say, well, come and see. Right? And they reckon after about three or four visits to the cell group, people are born again. Right? And uh, that's what happens. So the point of evangelism is in the cell groups. I know some of you have different ideas. I'm just telling you, right? Some of you know this. Some of you have done it yourself, found it out for yourself. For some of you, it might be new. But their emphasis on, is on nosy evangelism, all right? To get out and reach people and show people that you care for them and then invite them in. They are supposed to find the sick and pray for them. They are supposed to find a need and pray until God answers. And they are told that if they give, they will receive back a hundredfold. And there are many, many cell groups. They have uh, men's cell groups, women's cell groups, mixed groups, groups for lawyers, groups for uh, barristers, groups for teachers, groups in factories. And they meet on Friday mornings, which is amazing. Now, some of them meet in the evenings, because some guys work and can't manage it. But most people out there... They seem to be like a nation of shopkeepers. You can kind of arrange your hours. And they have one and a half hours, so they just take, maybe take a lunch break on their Friday. They take it in the morning. And they say, listen, I'm going to be out for a couple of hours. I'll be back. They've got good reputations, so they know that the work's going to be done and caught up. And they meet on Friday mornings. So they pray and they pray and they pray. Now, in the church of over half a million members, about 90 to 96% right, attend the cell groups regularly. They have that level of commitment. I said, what about people who don't? I asked one guy, Pastor Kim. They all seem to be named Kim. Uh, I said, so what happens if they don't? He said, well, we just pray for them. We go and visit them. Their cell group leaders, I'll tell you the numbers soon, but uh, they're supposed to visit their cell group members once a week. Every week, their cell group. Now, we've in introduced that here. We're a bit softer. We've said once a month. Right? But we just believe that we've stepped back a little bit on visiting, going to people's homes, because it was the old pastoral plan of people phoning you up and expecting a visit and so on. Well, now the boot's on the other foot, and we're going to go out and visit people on our terms and uh, not miss people out. So I've encouraged our neighbour group leaders here to, to visit their groups, because sometimes people drift, and you don't visit the ones that are a bit awkward and odd, right? They're the ones that are left and drift and drift and drift. And uh, that's a change that we've incorporated. But what happens, they have about 14 to 18 people, and this guy told me, it is a law, Pastor Cho say it is a law, that groups divide at 20, Right? And at 20, they subdivide. Whether they like it or not, they subdivide. It's compulsion. Obviously, the size of them now, they've gone through an awful lot of subdivisions. They're getting used to it. Now, no one can teach until they are trained. 
And to be trained, you need, first of all, to become a deacon or a deaconess. There are five major religions in the country. Animism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Shamanism, and Christianity. And uh, they won't let anybody teach unless they're absolutely sure, right, that they've come out of those things, are clean from them. Otherwise, it just kind of drifts in again, and they're uncertain about it. And the qualifications to become a deacon or a deaconess, for four years you are to attend two meetings per week, plus a Bible school, and you are to serve all of this time. If there's any distribution of needs, the deacons are expected to do it. You're supposed to serve on a Sunday once every few months, and you have what they give hallelujah sashes, these big sashes that have hallelujah all over them in Korean, right? I can't tell the difference. Hallelujah, right? And they work, because they have seven meetings on a Sunday, from about half past five in the morning to about ten o'clock at night. That is their duty. And their duty is to help all the buses park and help people across the roads, and they do that. Now, you do this for four years, and uh, after four years, then you may be recognized as a deacon or a deaconess. But then if you want to teach, you need to have one more year of training. So to, to teach in a cell group, you have to be trained for five years. All right? To be trained for five years. A pastor needs three more years of Bible study, right? And one year pastoral study. So that could be up to nine years before you become a pastor. Now, obviously, they couldn't do this in the beginning because he needed men. But now he's in a position where he can spend more and more time in digging in deep to men's lives and putting the word of God in. And all the time they're being assessed. And a guy I spoke to showed me that assessments, people apply to be a, a neighborhood group leader or a cell group leader or people apply to be a pastor and they have to have a good report they have to have attended regularly and uh, they just write back to people say your record isn't good enough right your record isn't good enough and they say sorry well I hope obviously they follow up with some kind of visit and pastoral help but that's what they do they're definite about that the elders are all laymen right they give their expertise there are 72 elders they give their expertise to the 72 various ministries that they have, like a lawyer's fellowship, or a ladies' fellowship, or youth counselling, or finance ministry, or a music ministry. And to become an elder, you will need all of this training, plus more, and it's only about 13 years. So you are elder. Right? Uh, right? Now that's the way they are. I'm not saying that's the way we need to be. I'm not saying that. But obviously that's where they are at the moment. They're able to give and pour in. And that's the qualification that is needed, right, to be recognized in those things. They have now about 400, 427 senior pastors. And uh, I'll show you a, a few acetates. Now, if you can't see, please feel free to move around. I'll put a little display over there, which the details are on. But if you want to move around, please feel free to do that where you can see. That is something of the latest figures. Let me move out of everyone's way and see where we are. Can you just adjust that? I'll do it. All right, there's the annual growth of pastoral staff. Now, in Korea, and again, uh, I kind of struggle with this a bit, they have lady pastors, right? Now, they cannot, though, be ordained. Right? They're not recognized in Korea as ordained pastors. Only the men are recognized that way. So you can see the growth of 1969, five in total, right the way through, 443. And they're all the different ones that are being trained. Some of them are going through the system. 
Now, I'm not here to explain all of these figures to you this morning. I just want to see. This is the home cell unit system. How it works is that they have Yonggi Cho, a director of pastoral care, 21 district leaders, so they subdivide into, not into congregations because they only meet in their cell group or on a Sunday altogether. All right? They don't have kind of what we call clusters or congregations where they're subdivided. They don't have that. They divide Seoul into 21 districts and then they have sub-district leaders. And right the way down to sub-district leaders, they are all paid members of staff. And then you have section leaders. And now they have, well, it's now nearly 50,000 home cells. All right? 50,000 home groups. That's what they have. And for every home cell unit leader, they have an assistant home cell unit leader as well. So they're obviously bringing through the next lot. And 520,000 members. The city's divided into 21 districts and then subdivided. And that's really just a little bit of, of detail for you. That's just a picture of a map of how they subdivide it. All right, you can see all the different districts there. Yoido Full Gospel Church is set on an island in the middle of the Han River in Seoul. And uh, they've just split out. These are the districts. That's the way things are. Again, I don't want to spend too much time giving you detail. You can see more of that over there. The young people have their own cells, all right? And they have youth pastors who look after 10 youth cells. Uh, so they meet in their own groups. They don't have a youth meeting at church midweek. They meet in their own cells and do their own, uh, have their own ministry. And they meet in the same way. They meet and they pray and they study. And that's the way they do. Uh, let's just have a look at... Oh, one thing, baptism is compulsory. You must get baptised. And for the size of the church here, it's amazing that they do not have a heater in their baptistry. Right? So they can only baptise people between May and September when it's warm. Right? Well, that's what they do. They're very considerate, aren't they? Uh, they do that. So what they do, they have to give everybody who's born again a day when they have to come in and get baptised. So they have one or two days a month between in May and June, July, August, September, that are given over to baptisms. And you get an appointment to come and get baptised, right? And people, it's obviously not the same people all the time, but uh, they just kind of do it in relays. Maybe you do ten and then get out and the next person comes in, and so on, they do ten. But you get a time, and if it's not suitable, you can have appointment change, like going to the dentist. So uh, you can go there, but you have a day. That's the way they do it. They don't fit a meeting around it or anything like that. They come, it's witnessed by all the other people who are getting baptised, and your friends and your family who can come, but that is the size of their growth. I mean, 10,000 people a month uh, added to the church. Let me just give you this acetate, which even if you can't see all the figures, give you some idea of the growth. Alright? You see less figures than... I'll move that down. Alright? Now that's, I'll start at the bottom. Here we go. 1958, five people. And then they moved along. 1,200. And uh, Terry pointed out last week when he saw these figures, once we get to 19,000, right, there's no problem after that. <laughs> the first 19,000 is the hardest. <laughs> All right? Now what is significant about this, it was in 1973, 1974, when it starts to take off and accelerate, 
that they really settled Prayer Mountain. And I'll explain Prayer Mountain soon. But that was when they gave a place for prayer and uh, they built a sanctuary on Prayer Mountain where people could go and pray. And people were sent there to pray. If your neighbourhood group is not very good, right, or struggling, you as a leader are sent, right, to Prayer Mountain to pray. I want to say this. Why not? Right? Why not? Why not? And uh, they're that serious about it. Uh, They're that intense, really, about serving the purpose of God and knowing God's will. So if you're struggling in a group or your leadership is struggling, say, right, go. I met a guy up on Prayer Mountain who had two weeks holiday, right? He only had a few weeks holiday every year. He was one of their pastors and he was spending a week up there praying and fasting. He wasn't sent there. He was a successful guy, but he just wanted to be there and do the extra, go the extra mile and let God touch him. So you have 19,000, it started to accelerate, and then we go right the way through. All the figures, there's where we are now. 500,000, half a million and so on. That is the growth that they are knowing over there. So it was Prayer Mountain that didn't change things, right? God changed things. But actually it was because they became committed to prayer. Prayer Mountain is a place 30 miles north of Seoul, very near the border uh, to North Korea. And in fact, when you go there, it's not a mountain at all. It's a hill, right? It's only a hill. I was looking for this massive place and it wasn't there at all. Uh, and when you get there, it is surrounded by sharp, sharply relieved hills, you know, very kind of up and down. And uh, I was reminded of things I knew about the Korean War. Uh, I was told by my parents uh, about the Korean War that it was really a battle for hills. Right? It was a battle for hills. Well, on one of the hills now, there's a prayer mountain. And still around it, you have American and South Korean bases. And it is said on the video that even the North Korean troops can, from their bases, see prayer mountain. And uh, so, obviously, when you're in prayer mountain, they often say, let's pray for the country. Well, they pray for the country wherever meeting you go to. They pray for the country. But they feel that they are doing something, right? And they are praying against a frontier that is more, all right, uh, than just a line uh, between one country. It is a spiritual barrier also. See, many of them still have relatives and families from North Korea that they haven't seen. And, uh, you know, the years have flown on become more separated what happened it was bought this place as a Christian cemetery uh, because nearly all the other places were Buddhist cemeteries so they bought this plot of land to use as a a Christian cemetery and uh, there were building problems in the building that Paul Yonggi Cho was putting up one of his first buildings and uh, he was depressed and in the middle of this half completed building inflation had gone up costs had gone up he was depressed and he heard that some of his men were going up to this plot of land and praying and that's what started off this prayer mountain now up there now they have a 10,000 seater sanctuary right for meetings they have conventions there weekly they have hostels there you can go in but generally the people go in and just take mattresses and beds and they lie and they sleep anywhere and even in this 10,000 seater sanctuary they will sleep where they've had the meeting And I went into some of the meetings. You have to tiptoe through people, right? Or through beds and so on. People just will come for the meetings and then the meeting finishes, they'll have a wash and they'll just lie down. 
And then there was this other place that just had a concrete floor covered uh, with plastic, had a plastic frame, uh, sorry, uh, a frame around it, a plastic roof over it, and people just went in there to sleep. It was amazing. Husbands, wives, families, uncles, grandparents, you know, they all went in and just slept there. Then they were up early in the morning, half past five, uh, if they weren't praying all night. And out they went to pray again. I stayed in some bunk beds at, uh, in one of these centres. There was a large uh, area there. It was amazing. They can have up to 29,000 people on Prayer Mountain at any one time praying. And they say there's never less than three or 4,000 people there at any time, day or night. The prayer goes on without ceasing. The buses you can get from Seoul up to the church... They run about every hour on average, these 42-seaters, and they don't let you get on just because you're a guest. You have to fight with the rest of them to get on, and you're hanging from anything you can get hold of, and there's about 72 people crammed onto this 42-seater. You get on there, uh, you'll see some of the photographs there. While they're waiting, the people sit and they pray, or they sit and they read the Bible. They don't kind of sit around and chat. You know, it's a nice coat you're wearing, lovely way you've been shopping. They sort of seem to be intense and caught, right, by a vision for reaching people, reaching the nation, having their lives changed, that they pray, and they pray. And you get onto the bus, and then everything goes quiet, and I wasn't quite sure what was happening. And uh, they, they, I thought it was the driver speaking, but actually he puts a tape on. And uh, everyone kind of just bows their head, and there's this prayer that comes out on the kind of, uh, through the bus, um, PA system and they pray together and they'll kind of pray and then you hear this Amen and then the bus driver starts off and off you go and you find out why they've been praying right there. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know the guy just poof wee bombs off there I think you have the wrong idea of what it means praying fast he thinks you pray and then you go fast <laughs> And I think I know, I think I know why at the other end of it, Prayer Mountain has become so significant. You get off the bus and you just like, <laughs> you're ready to meet your maker, you know. <laughs> Wonderful. Out on this uh, Prayer Mountain, they do have this sanctuary and they have these other hostels there that you can go stay in or these places where you can just sleep. They have these 150 grottos and I can only describe them as looking as, as like entrances to uh, bomb. Uh, shelters uh, from what I remember from my dim and distant past uh, you know just little entrances and they're about uh, five foot high six foot deep four foot wide uh, damp smelly and they just have a kind of a wooden pallet inside and people go in there you can book it and you go in there and you pray and you book this place 150 I mean it doesn't go too far amongst uh, 29,000 so you have to go in try and book it and get in and you can go in there by yourself or go in with two or three there isn't room for anyone else and they just have these kind of air vents that come out from the back of them uh, as it's, they're embedded into the side of the hill and out of these air vents you can hear people praying you know and shouting and crying and uh, God's spirit is upon the place um, it's very emotional for me I will get emotional because God's spirit is still on me and what he's done in me but uh, I'll tell you later what happened when I went there but people go there to pray. They go in these grottos, they go in the sanctuary, or they can go on benches that are just on the side of this hill. And they're kneeling, they're lying, they are standing, they are shouting, they are crying, they are singing hymns. 
It is a powerful place. Right? And you know that the Spirit of the Lord is there. And because people are praying constantly. And they're not put off by anybody else. You know, I'm a European. I go there. I was about five yards away from ladies who were praying. And they weren't put off one little bit. They just prayed. They were intense. They were earnest to get through to God. And they were crying and they were sobbing. They didn't bother who was looking at them, who was going around. They were getting through to God. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And some of the ladies would just sit there. Some other ladies would just sit there and they'd just sing hymns. And they don't know any of the Dave Felly songs, right? Maybe that's why they're being blessed, you know. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know any of the Dave Felly songs. They use Sankey hymns, right? Or the old hymns that we feel we moved away from. And I just kind of butt up on those things. And I just felt God and I heard this woman in the uh, grotto. And she was singing two songs. Uh, one was, I hear thy welcome voice. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. And the Spirit of God was moving on me as I was praying there. And God was dealing with me. And I'm going to tell you, you know, what God was doing to me, what he said later on. But I know that God was touching her. She sang two songs for an hour. The Spirit of God was on it. And they come and they just get these old hymn books out. And they just sing them through and they sing them through and they sing them through and someone else will join them. And they sing them through and they sing them through and they sing them through. Pass me not, O gentle Saviour. All these things, these old hymns that we think, oh yes, well, they were good for the time. And I'm not saying they may be right now, but I do know when the Spirit of God is upon people, you can sing whatever you like, right? And God will touch you. And these people came and they brought life to these songs. And they brought real meaning to these songs. And people around were being touched. It was a place of power because people were intense to get there. They queued up for hours to get the bus. If they couldn't get the bus, they'd get another bus and they'd have to pay to go on that other bus. But they wanted to be there and they wanted to pray and none would put them off and they would take their children there. They would take their families there. Their children would go out of bed for two or three nights but they sleep anyway. They would go without sleep but we go without sleep. I'd gone without sleep travelling across the world. Right? It was no problem. We do it when we're travelling around. We do it when we want to cross time barriers. We miss on sleep. And they give up sleep regularly. Week by week. Week by week. And uh, they pray. And back at Soar, you way to full gospel church. They, they pray. Every night they have an all night prayer meeting. On the Friday night they have the big one. 45,000 people. In this one place. Amazing. And God just touched me while I was there. And uh, then the meetings that they have on Sundays, let me just move on. They have seven meetings on a Sunday. They have three on a Saturday, they have two on a Wednesday. I went to two on a Sunday, uh, the nine o'clock and the eleven o'clock meeting, because I wanted to see what the changeover was like. And uh, I went to one on the Wednesday. Uh, Paul Youngie Cho happened to be there. He preached powerfully on Sunday. Uh, but on Wednesday, he had a lot longer to preach. He preached for an hour and a half. And it was amazing the way he just related to the people. And they were with him at every sentence. You know, just these big aims come back. And 20,000 set around in other place, uh, in the same building, in different halls, watching him on video, preaching as he'd pray. What had happened, uh, they'd just say, Amen! 
Amen. These kind of shouts came back. They were with him. They were on. And I know Don Smith. I've heard Don Smith use this to describe what's happening here at Bracknell. They were on the front foot. You know, in everything that was happening, they were on the front foot. If it was praying, he said, let's pray. They got up and they prayed. There was no warm-up. They got up and they prayed. If they were giving, they gave in quickly. And uh, they just moved in magnificently. And God touched them and was touching me as I went to see them. And uh, we went to these meetings. Uh, as well as these, these meetings, they have the all-night prayer. I've mentioned that. They have stewards there, full-time security guards. These stewards spotted us. I don't know how they could tell the difference, but anyway, they spotted us. And they, they pulled us out. These guys remembered Jeff, right? They remembered him. And I thought, I'm amazing. They must have lots and lots of visitors that come through. Now, I know he's a big guy, but even so, they remembered him and they, they made a fuss of him. And it just touched me. These people with all their numbers still have, uh, you know, time for one another. And will recognise guests. And we were taken to some special seats. Uh, on the Wednesday, I had to fight for the seat, right? I, I met another guy, an English guy. I went to see him just for a second. There were three people bearing down on my seat, right? <laughs> and these other people around were kind of protecting the seat for me. And, you know, and they, they kind of squabble. You know, they, they squabble. And then it's just forgotten. And then they turn the squabbling one second, they turn the prey through the next second. They've got really sharp elbows. You know, they'll get in, they'll fight, and they'll get in. They're intense, right? They're intense. It's like the woman who had to press through the crowd to get to Jesus. She pressed through the crowd. It didn't open up for her. She had to get through there. She had to push people out the way. It was a, a big thing for every step because of what was in her and what she knew could happen to her because she had faith. That God would touch her. And these people pressed through. There's an intensity about them that was amazing. Uh, early in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, you're woken up by whistles and buses arriving. They have a 6.30 meeting, a 9 o'clock meeting, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock. All of these things. The crowds swarm in. They have one choir for every different meetings, right? They have 12 or 13, 120 voice choirs. It still kind of looks a bit old and traditional, but the Spirit of God is upon it. They have two or three full orchestras. At the changeover, one meeting, the nine o'clock meeting, finished at 20 to 11. They have to get out, right? They have to get 25,000 people out. And then on top of that, 20,000 other people are in 17 other sanctuaries around the, the same building. So they have to get 45,000 people out and the next 45,000 people in in 20 minutes. It is amazing to see what happens. They open the back doors and all the people dash out the back. And as they go just past a certain space, they open the side doors in and the next ones come in. And I tell you, the Spirit of God really touched me. They come in running. They come in running. And they don't run for the back seats. They run for the front seats. Wonderful. Wonderful. They want to be on the front row. They want to be there to see it. Okay, you could say, well, they don't want to see it on a video. They don't want to be further back. But there's something in the spirit. They run to it. They're elbowing each other out of the way, right? To get there and to get a place. And when they sit down, they don't kind of say, oh, got it, good. What's the order says? They sit and they, sit. they start praying. And they start praying. And they're praying in tongues. And they're praying in Korean. And I can't tell the difference, right? And they're praying. And they're praying away. And asking God to touch the nation and touch them. And there's an intensity about them. They, they get there early. They're eager. They're earnest. They're expectant. And when they're called to do some, something, they're explosive. And they do it. 
Uh, and God really challenged me as I sorted it all. And uh, for each of those meetings, actually, because they have five satellite churches around which they relay the video to, there are 75,000 people per service on the Saturday and on the Sunday. And the power of God is there. Very liturgical. I'll show you this before we look at the video. I can show you what their order of service is. All right. Very kind of... There's at the top, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven is the times of their meetings, 6.30, 11. I don't know what the other writing says. <laughs> and then they start off with silent prayer. They have a, um, an elder who just prays. So there's three people on a massive platform, Myongi Cho, uh, one of the senior pastors, and an elder. The senior pastor kind of chairs the meeting. Uh, their elder just gives one prayer. Uh, they have a senior deacon that comes up to pray for the offering and then receives it. Uh, amazing there were 50 deacons and deaconesses collecting the offering and when they hand it in they wheel it away in a skip (laughs) amazing stuff right they dump all of the offerings into this skip and they just wheel it away wonderful right they recite the apostles creed but it's full of life for them they come from Buddhism, they know every word of it, and they know what it means. We see it recited now, it's dead, right? And yet they recite it, it's what they believe, it's important that they should declare what they believe, that the people who they've brought there, or guests, know what they believe, and they recite it. They sing these hymns, and then there's a prayer. Now this man prays, this elder prays, and it's virtually the same prayer that they pray. Every time I went to a meeting, Elder prayed, they tend, not word for word, but they thank God for what he's doing in their lives. They thank God for Paul Yonggi Cho. They thank God for all their pastors. They thank God for all their deacons, all the people who serve them. They thank God for their country. They pray for the nation, and then they pray that God will sort out the disputes that were happening in the nation. There were some labor disputes when I was out there. And then they thank God that the, the Olympics are going there next year, and they ask God that it won't be taken away from them and they're all praying on the front foot and saying oh yes God do it do it do it and it's amazing and uh, they really kind of pray and then there's a scripture reading just a few verses and then uh, there's an anthem choir sing that was probably the the, I'll use a word the deadest part of the meeting right Uh, when the choir sang and then there was a sermon now Paul Yonggi Cho just speaks of the second third and fourth meetings there 9, 11 and 1 he doesn't do so bad, does he? Preaching at those three. Uh, we have two morning services here. Uh, but he preaches at three. But then, in, unless uh, the meeting's five and six at uh, three o'clock and, and five o'clock, everyone watches a video of what he's preached. When we were there, he'd just come back from a, uh, a week of meetings and, uh, in one of the islands. And uh, what he did, they had a, they had a video already prepared they'd done it overnight his television department so you saw what had gone on they just pulled this massive screen down and for 10 minutes you watch a video and it was presented documentary right style of what had happened in the Chicho Islands where he'd been ministering so it was up to date contemporary they were kept informed the people were with him then they said right let's pray let's pray and what they do when they stand to pray he says let's pray and they all shout out Chio! Chio! And that's, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. 
And I'll never forget that, right? I'll never forget it. They shouted out with such enthusiasm. It's as if he's ready to move and they call and he comes with power. And they cry and you get 25,000 people in this sanctuary shouting out, Chio! Chio! Oh Lord! Oh Lord! And they cry it and then they start bubbling away in the press. And things start happening. It's amazing. Right, I'm going to show you the video. And then at the end of that, I'm just going to tell you what God has done for me and shown me. Alright, let's watch the video. Being brought up in Liverpool... I kind of knew what that was like, but the, the sense of having to kind of fight your way in and then kind of get carried out it was as if you could actually lift your feet off the ground and still be moved, uh, such as the, the people there. And then the excitement and the fervor and the singing together and then that waterfall sound when they pray together, uh, just amazing. And they do kind of sweep in and sweep. At the end of the meeting, Young Lee Cho, when he was there, gave the benediction. And he says, now, he said, just before the benediction, he says, I just want to say, many of you know that in 20 minutes we've got a, another meeting. We'd like you to take all your uh, baggage out and all your books and so on. Well, listening to the interpreter, you know, which is weird, they used to sing to you. It's really weird, you know. They used to go, he said, and now Reverend Cho is asking people to move out quickly because of the meeting. He would like you all to remove your garbage and all of your... <laughs> Heavens, I didn't know, didn't know I'd taken any in. But um, what was happening was that they just move in and move out so quickly and move on. And uh, they invest time. Did you hear that? They invest time. They desire to be there. They labour in prayer. And it's amazing. Now what happened to me? Would you just like to stand for a minute, right? Just straight, stretch your legs. Alright? Let me just pray. And then you can sit down. Or get on. Father, I ask that your spirit will come upon us mightily. I ask, Lord, that as I share now, that you will change every one of our lives by your spirit, mighty God. Well, I ask, Lord, for nothing less, Father, than everyone who is here will have such a touch by you that we will touch our nation, we will touch our friends, our family, our children, our churches, our fellowships, mighty God. Come and do it for, for us, Father. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please sit down. What happened as we arrived and went to that prayer meeting? And... Uh, I went in about quarter to ten in the evening. It was quiet on the outside. We went in and saw these 25,000 people there. We went in, got a seat and sat there. And then when they started to pray, they have a meeting. Uh, the Spirit of God just came on me and I started to cry. I'm going to cry now, right? But um, what happened was that uh, I just saw the, something that... Um, it was as if God in His covenant, right? And His grace was just showing me something more. Now... When I first time I'd gone down to Clarendon in October 1983, it was an invitation of, of Henry Tyler. Uh, we chose the weekend, Pam and I went to go down, and it was one of the last, I think, all kind of combined leaders' days that you had. And uh, we're all there. And I remember that day, because uh, when everyone started worshipping, there was about 400 men there all worshipping together, the Spirit of God touched me the same way. I'd moved, I was come from the northeast. I hadn't moved down. It was on that day that I met Ben, right? Now, he had nothing to do with my crying, all right? <laughs> He's had a lot to do with it since, right? <laughs> but uh, what happened? That when I saw all these men praising God, 
and saw the leaders. I didn't know Ben, Sir Ray, and uh, and Terry, and other leaders up there on the platform, uh, and all these men. I just knew God was showing me something, the next step, right, for my life. And uh, when I was out there in Korea, I looked at all these people, and my heart was, well, the tendency was to be, oh, you know, they're just simple people. It's cultural, right? It's cultural what God's doing. They're simple people. Uh, it's, it's a different culture. And I was thinking that, and God said to me, no. He said, it's scriptural. He said, I want you to take this, and I want your life to be changed. As I saw them and as they shouted out Chio and they stood, I saw a simple, uh, fervent spirit upon them that I knew I hadn't done and hadn't got for all my sophistication, for all my civilization, for what it was. And uh, God touched me and I just started sobbing and started crying. And I said, God, please do it. I said, do it in England. I said, do it in England, God. I said, please do it in England. Come and touch us, Lord. Take away our sophistication. It's, it's not culture. It's totally scriptural that these people should pray without ceasing, should pray in the Spirit and reach out to you. And God said to me, can half a million people be a touch of culture? He said, it's a touch of my Spirit. He says, because these people simply, uh, with obedience, stand up and pray and let the Spirit of God lead them in the prayer. And I was touched by God. And it was just a touch of God's covenant, covenant love, as if you're saying, right, this is another step for you. I just felt I'd travelled all the way across the world, that God had put his grace upon me and given me this mighty privilege of seeing it. I wasn't going to be a spectator, right? I wasn't going to go and observe and go back and just report. I wanted God to touch me deep within myself, that if there was something there of God, that it changed me. And I wasn't really bothered in some way that it changed anyone else, but that it should change me because I knew that my prayer life was nothing, nothing compared with what God wanted it. I've tried. Oh, I've tried. I've had my hours of prayer. I'd read the hour that changes the world and all these sort of things and I'd done it. I'd had my moments of baptizing the Spirit and there was new life. I'd gone through legalism of praying for ten minutes and reading the chapter. I'd gone through grace when I didn't do anything at all. Right? I'd went through all of these things and I just knew and as God had said to me for years and years when you get to grips with your prayer life I will get to grips with you and your ministry. And God said that to me. And I was there, and I just enjoyed the fellowship. And then on the Monday we went. And we went out there, and um, went out to Prayer Mountain. I was by myself. I went out, got a place, dumped all my stuff in this room where the bunks were. And I went out on the mountain to pray. And I was there, and I walked through past all the grottos. And I could hear people crying. I could hear people praying. And I sat down on a bench... I just sat there. I said, oh God, come and touch me. I said, uh, I just repented, right, of my lack of prayer life. Right? My, I'm okay, I had good moments, but I just pray. I said, God, I repent. And God said to me, right, he says, how do you want to be outstanding? I said, well, I'd like to be outstanding because I'm pastor people. I'd like to be outstanding because I preach a little bit. I'd like to be outstanding because I lead worship. I'd like to be outstanding place Lord, I'd like to be successful in that, right, sort of PE teacher, I'd like to do all that sort of thing, I'd be outstanding in my family life, God said I want you to be outstanding in prayer, 
I said, no. I said, God, I can't do this. It ain't the cost too much. You see, all the other things had some kind of, well, I can say gifting from God, but natural ability as well. Here, yeah, I've got the gift of the gab. I can talk to people. I can share. I can talk in front of people. But I knew that to pray meant that I had to be disciplined beyond what I'd ever known before. And God said, I want you to be outstanding in prayer. And I just said, oh God, no. And yet I wanted it in one hand. I knew the cost of it in the other. And God said, to be outstanding, all these things, I want you to be outstanding in prayer. And uh, I just knew what my prayer life had been. I could ask you all now. But we could probably go through, and if we were all telling the truth, to be outstanding in New Frontiers... Right? Amongst New Frontiers related fellowships, you probably only have to pray one hour a day to be outstanding. Right? I would say the average, and what I've checked out, is that people generally pray about a quarter of an hour a day. Now, I'm not hooked on time, right? But there's something about pressing through in God's presence. There's something about that that I saw of these people. That they were prepared to press through, and they would spend hours and hours praying. And I knew uh, that God wanted to change me. And, uh, I mean, really, to pray for an hour a day in this company here, I would say, is probably outstanding. And yet, on the other hand, we say we want to take the nation, right? We want to, we want to take the nation. We want to touch people. We want to have an international ministry. We do all of these things. And yet, the heartbeat of what God wants to do is that we get before him and pray in the Spirit. And pray through in the Spirit. And God touched me. And I, he said, Malcolm, he said, I want you to to pray big prayers as I was praying as I said before I could hear this lady singing I could hear other people around me praying and this lady was singing in Korean uh, I hear thy welcome voice I'm coming Lord coming out to me and I knew it was a moment in my life that I'd never be able to back from I wanted to be ruined by God at that moment I wanted to become flattened before God and to know a touch that would change me completely and magnificently I wanted God to get hold of me as he'd never done before in my prayer life. And God did it. And God said to me, right, I want you to be outstanding in prayer. And what he did, he showed me a, a thing that I'd preached before. Uh, I knew before. It was from 1 Chronicles 4. I won't turn to it. But uh, just note it. 1 Chronicles 4. The beginning of Chronicles wouldn't be the sort of place that you get much inspiration lot of begetting and begetting and so on right the way through but at the beginning 1 Chronicles 4 verse 9 and 10 it's about a guy called Jabez and I'll read it to you you go through all this begetting and begetting it's like a sea of names and then this comes it says Jabez was more honourable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez saying because I bore him in pain the guy had a terrible nickname he was really called pain right that was his name, Pain, right? He was called Pain, right? And he said, Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me, enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it wouldn't hurt me. And God granted what he asked. And then it goes on, Chilab, the brother of Shuhab, was the father of Mehir. And it just launches off into all these names. And in this sea of names is this guy called Jabez. Now, I preached before on it, right? This guy was outstanding. God says to me, how was he outstanding? I said, because he prayed. Because he prayed. How were his prayers like? I said, they were big prayers. And I'd been preaching about pre praying big prayers. 
And God was turning all the way around on me. He says, pray big prayers. And uh, this guy just, he prayed a really kind of selfish prayer. He said, Lord, bless me and enlarge my border. Right? Enlarge my border. And I prayed that. I was there and I said, God, bless me. Enlarge my border. I said, keep your hand on me and protect me. I don't want to start off in the, fle- in the spirit and end up in the flesh. God, I want you to bless me and touch me. And God moved towards me and I started sobbing and crying. And I started praying big things for myself. And I started praying big things for Pam and for the children, right, my two girls. And I started praying big things for my ministry. And I felt I was so released in it. Then God said to me, right, I want you to pray big things for Ben and big things for Morris, who's our other elder here. I just kind of got a hesitant spirit, you know, because you can pray big things for yourself. And then when God says, pray big things for others, you've got a ceiling, right? You know, I think, oh, I'm not too big for Ben, you know, bless me a bit more, right? right? And God said, pray. And I just kind of, it was as if God lifted a ceiling off me. And I prayed a big prayer. I have honoured this guy. I've blessed him. I prayed big things for him. But God did something in my spirit. I've never been against him. But God did something in my spirit. It blew the top off it. And I stood up and I shouted out. I said, God bless Ben Davis. God bless Morris Robinson. Give them immense ministries from you, Father. Touch them. And I just prayed massive prayers. I was if God cracked the shell, lifted the ceiling off, and I broke through, and God touched me. And I prayed big things for people. I prayed big things for what would do God would do in New Frontiers. I prayed that whatever I was involved in would be massive for the purposes of God. And I cried and I cried and I sobbed and I sobbed and I just knew that I touched God and he knew that God had touched me and I just kind of came away and I went back and I just knew I could never be the same I want to say this I am never going back right never ever going back and God has touched me he's changed me and he spoke to me he said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak he says when did my son talk about that he said it was when those disciples couldn't pray We use it for lots of other illustrations, sex, immorality and all sorts, and discipline. But actually in the context it was about prayer. And God said to me, listen, the Spirit of God in you, Malcolm, can pray for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And what it is that you've given into the flesh after two minutes, or three minutes, or ten minutes, or quarter of an hour. And God touched me. And... uh, I just have no trouble now. <laughs> I say that. It's still an act of the will. But God has touched me because I've realised there's never before the Spirit of God in me wants to pray at any time and for as long as, you know, I, I can stand right on my feet. And God did it something in me. And I came back and I knew God had touched me and changed me. I started praying regularly. I knew that all I had to do was just set the alarm. And when I heard it, I knew the Spirit of God in me, right, could pray. No drudgery anymore, right? No drudgery because I don't have to work at it. All I have to do is get up, right? Now, okay, that's a step. But, it, I mean, the thing, all I have to do is, because the Spirit of God in me wants to pray and can pray and can pray and pray. It was like a revelation, right? I'd prayed for years and years in the flesh. Okay, the Spirit of God touched me now and again. But I prayed in the flesh, working it through in English, Right? Thinking, what should I do? We know my lists and all that. And I know God kind of blesses lists, right? He will do that. But I'd never really prayed through in the Spirit. 
And God released me. Me and Bath started praying. God touched me. We came in here. We had, um, we had a gift day for our building project. And Bonnet, ben, ben had said, uh, let's, let's pray Saturday and Sunday. Came in here Saturday morning. We had coffee. We started praying in a circle of about 40 uh, of us here. We started praying. And I thought, God, well, what happened? People were sharing things. Someone would read a verse. Someone would pray. Someone would top that prayer up. You know, someone would top that prayer up. And uh, uh, God said to me, I'm very disappointed. These people aren't praying. And uh, I just stopped the meeting. And uh, Ben was there leading it. And I just want to want to Ben, right? He says he's never had any problem about stepping aside and letting me lead in prayer. But it's still a step for any leader, right? And he stepped aside. Uh, he didn't say anything. He just let me, let me lead. And I stopped it. And uh, I know, knew the Spirit of God was on me. I knew the Spirit of God had touched me on prayer mountain. And I could never be the same again. I wasn't interested in copying you read a full gospel church. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in copying the structure. There's things that you can learn. You need to learn. And they're informative and uh, challenging. But I just knew God wanted to do something in, the, in my prayer life. And in the life of prayer. I never wanted to bring it over here and transfer it over here. It wasn't in my mind at all. I did want in some way to share it to, with the people. But I didn't have a clue how God wanted me to do it. And at this meeting, I just stopped and I said, listen. I said, we're, we're not praying. I said, we're just sharing our cleverness. I said, we're just being clever in front of each other. We're not really pressing through and asking God. I said, God said this. That we need to press through. We need to give room to the Spirit of God. Because our flesh has an extremely low ceiling when it comes to prayer. You pray for two or three minutes, your ego says that's enough. Right? You've done your bit. Right? You pray for another few minutes, your mind gets distracted. Your body gets tired. You sit down. Right? You give up. You stand. You, You move to another room. You go and have a drink. You're distracted. And God said to me, the Spirit is willing to pray and pray and pray. These guys that Jesus had, he'd had them for a meal, the supper. He'd taken them down. The kids were on valley, up the other side uh, to the Mount of Olives. They'd walked quite a distance and now right the way down. It was late at night, right? And God, ex- Jesus expected them to pray. Right? Oh, let's let them off a few hours. Jesus said to those guys who were extremely tired, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is we and I just said come on let's press through and I felt God saying these things that when we pray the Holy Spirit always has his foot on the accelerator but the flesh has his hand on the handbrake and it's that battle always and we need to press through in the spirit and let the spirit of God leading and I'm not talking about just praying in tongues I find now that I pray just as much in English there's a something about praying in tongues, though, that I can be released, right? I don't think about it. And as I'm doing it, God speaks to me and changes me. And uh, what happens, we so easy, give up praying, get distracted. And I said, let's pray in the Spirit. Let's pray in English or pray in tongues, whatever it is. But let's ask the Spirit of God lead us. Let the Spirit lead. And we need to humble ourselves, our ego, our own desires. And this is what happens. You see, it can look terribly fleshly when the Spirit of God moves. We've seen that with the Wimba teams. It can look terribly fleshly. You see, what happens is that 
we, the Holy Spirit overcomes the flesh, the flesh has to follow behind. Right? It has to follow behind. It's fighting. It's got its hand on the brake. But the Spirit of God can overcome the flesh. Right? Romans 5, Romans 6 tells you that. We're men of the Spirit. We're overcoming. Right? We're breaking through. Sin, sin once reigned. Right? But now, God reigns through us. The Spirit of God reigns. And we break through. And we press it. The flesh follows behind. And he follows through in submission. That's why the psalmist could say things like, Why are you cast? Why are you depressed, my soul? Hope in God. Come on, do it. And you can speak to your own flesh, right? Your own soul, your own mind, your ego, and say, come on, hope in God. And I knew the Spirit of God wanted to do it. It was just bubbling all the time. All I had to do was take the ceiling off and stop it. And then when we move and the flesh moves behind, then at times the Holy Spirit and the flesh are together. That's when you have people falling over. That's when you have people shaking. That's when you have people crying. That's when you have people sobbing, lying on the floor. But that's what happens. That's when we get into trouble. Because that's when we start judging. Right? That's when we start getting just a bit fearful. Right? Because we know as leaders that many things are done in the flesh. Right? And we know people and we've got history of people who've gone over the top and being weird. But I believe in the move of John Wimber. Right? The way he's prayed. And what happens now when we pray, I tend not to judge too quickly. Because I think our history is that we've judged too quickly. And we kind of step back when the Spirit of God was moving. Because it does look terribly fleshly. You get alongside Jesus when he's praying. He prayed, as it were, he sweat drops of blood. You be next to a man who's praying like that. You think, poor fleshly. Fleshly. It says, Hebrews 5, 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus cried out with loud cries to God. You stand next to him on those occasions. You think, over the top. Fleshly. And what happened? I encouraged the people to press through. And I said, don't judge. I said, leave it for us as leaders. We'll watch what's happening. And even with us, there's a temptation. I was at uh, Beaconsfield a couple of weeks ago, just sharing with them. And I said, right, let me pray. I'd share as I'm sharing with you. Let's pray. And this guy jumped on the floor, lay flat on the floor, started shouting, Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! He was saying, I thought, Oh dear me, Lord, what a, what's happening? And God said to me, That guy is a leader in prayer. And I found out from Alan, the guy gets up quarter past six every morning to pray anyway. But as I judged him in the flesh, right, I think it's over the top. And what happened, I said, come on, let's, let's blow our covers, let's pray. Let's press in the Spirit. And we started praying. And when it started quieting down, I said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we moved on again. And God met us magnificently. And Bracknell Baptist Church will never, ever be the same again. Right? Never, ever will we be the same again. I prophesy it, I say it. Right? We will never be the same again. This earth will never be the same again. I don't know what's going on in other ministries. This nation will never be the same again. Because God touched us and we moved through. And we pressed through. And sometimes... Well, we had to learn not to judge too quickly. There were people shouting and waving the fists. And we've heard comments. What about the noise? What about the people waving the fists of God? It's terrible. What about the old prayer meetings? Where we sit in a circle. And where we kind of wait for one another to pray. Right? 
And I haven't really kind of studied it. But I do know that really what happened is we said, let's all pray together. And we all stood and we all prayed together. And there were men and there were women who were crying out to God. Some of them had right big mouths, right more noise. And they prayed. And then she was thinking, oh, you know. (gasps) But then when you're praying through to God, we just let it go. And God broke through and touched us. And people's lives have been changed. Right? People's lives have been changed. The prayer life of people has been changed. We just had a, a woman, a, a husband, comes to our church. I don't want to give too many illustrations. Has, uh, has just lost his father. He went over to Orpington. My phone up said, how is he? He said, he's very tired. He said, he's, I said, why is that? He said, well, he's getting up early in the morning now. And he's up and prays for an hour in the mornings. People's lives have been changed. What sleep, you know? What sleep? Yongi Cho says this in his book, uh, Prayer, the Key to Revival, when we realize that prayer is as important as eating, sleeping, and breathing, we will find time for it. And God's touched us. We need to pray in the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Be willing and eager. Press through. And as we do, God uncovers. And if you're kind of praying and you hear someone else praying in English next to you and they're praying something big, say amen to their prayers. Get excited about it and say, yes, amen. Bless this guy. Pray big prayers. Let the Spirit overcome the flesh. Right? And if you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to bounce up and down, bounce up and down. If you need to cry, cry. But give room to the Spirit of God. And I found in this way that God has moved magnificently in my life and we're praying and God's speaking to us. And our testimony here is that God is resolving issues that have been under the surface for ages. People who have been away from church are now coming in. No one's visited. It's as if God called them. Last Sunday night I was sharing about Korea. We had people visit from Aldershot, the King Centre, and all that, and going back and saying, we must do it, we must do it. Right? And I know that I'm confident, right, in what I'm saying to you, because I haven't gone looking for it. Right? It is amazing that Terry should come. Right? At this time, and then come again, having his diary, and then actually ask me, right, to speak to you like this. I'm confident it's the will of God and the purpose of God for us now. And what I'm going to ask you to do is jump in. Alright? I'm going to ask you to jump in. I'm going to ask you to really pray through. Elders, right? You're all elders. And Tennessee, when you come like this, you all still behave as elders. Right, we need just to submit and leave it to the people who are here today. Terry, let him keep an eye out for people who are maybe over the top. The rest of us, just let's just pray through, right? Because we're, we're, we're trained, right? For years, right? Trained, we're the ones who have to watch everything. So we're praying and think, oh, there she is again, right? And there he is, and, and all that sort of thing. And we're doing it, and we don't break through ourselves in prayer. And what we need to do is just break through, say, God touch me. I'm going to direct you how to do it. We need as leaders to give room to this sort of praying. Our praying has changed now. We do not pray like the way we did. We come in now and uh, we had a prayer meeting Thursday morning, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. We had 100 people here. Alright? 
100 people here, we just give direction, say, this is what we're going to pray for, let's go. And we just pray. And then in Korea, they have to ring a bell to stop everyone, right? Because they, they just keep going, they go for hours. Right? They ring a bell to stop it. And then the, what happens, we just have to say, right, stop, stop. I said, right, the next thing. And I mean, some people are well away and you stop them. It doesn't matter, the Spirit of God will still pick it up. He's still willing, right? But a bit kind of superstitious, I think, about that. You know, the Spirit of God's moving, we shouldn't stop it. Actually, you can stop it and have a cup of tea and then go back and the Spirit of God can still work, right? I believe that. And uh, so what happens is we give direction. We Leaders, only leaders need to watch. Don't hastily judge, but be in authority. Deal with things that are obviously fleshly. But even in that, I'd say, let it go. You can bring children along. No longer do children disturb prayer meetings. Right? Prayer meetings now are places that are so full of noise. And I'm just saying, the noise, some of you will break through into shouting. Brilliant. Right, you need to watch your throats. Right, you do. Because I've struggled. I've learned I can be just as fervent and not give my throat as much. Right, as much jip. Right, but you can. Actually, you can. You will need a time to break through and be really fervent and noisy. You will do it physically. But I think sometimes we've, we've so let the flesh run. Right, we'll find the things freshly, yet we're in it. <laughs> a lot of the time, in our prayer. Let the Spirit lead and let's move in behind. Prayer nurtures the life of Christ in you. God has changed us. Uh, We've got people praying now in a different way. People are flooding in to our prayer meetings. God has touched me, I believe, in such a way. And I want that to remain on me personally. And I don't mind if I'm tucked away in a prayer grotto and never have an opportunity again to share it with anyone. That's what God wants. I will do it. Right? I'm not after a ministry. I'm not after talking to people. I'm after praying. Right? And I want to help people as much as I can. I want to pray for people. Numbers have increased. Little distraction. Families are coming. We all lift our voices and pray together. If we want to touch the nation, if we want to touch this world, we've got to be outstanding in prayer. All the others are our own shortcuts. And God wants us to be outstanding in prayer. I'd love us to pray, right? I'm going to, I'd love to go through till half one, okay? Could I do that? Let's give us 40 minutes to pray. Now, when we pray, and reading Terry's book, uh, we come to God first, right? I want to, I'm going to just change that, right? I want us to, to pray like the woman pressing through to touch the, the hem of the garment of Jesus, Right? I want you to press through the flesh, right? Pray in the spirit and let God know, let Jesus today know that his power has moved from his body, right? From his presence down here to this place in Bracknell, right? Let God do it. Jesus wants to do it. Let's receive a touch of his power. Let issues that have been in you, like this woman, dry up because God touches you. Be like Isaiah. Let God come and touch your lips with live coals from the altar. But you press through yourself individually to know, cry out that you would receive a touch from God and break through. And when it starts quieting down, I'm going to say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? And press through because the spirit of God in you now, if you're born again of the spirit of God, the spirit of God in you now could pray for the next three days. Right? No problem. Four days, five days. It's only your flesh that gets distracted and other things. Right? Now the distraction you need to look at. 
but often we don't give ourselves time to really go for it. So I'm going to lead us. Let's pray. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to pray. And then I might stop you in a...